everyone, and welcome to a Better Late Than Never episode of the Monday Lorians. Uh, it's me, Niall. I'm back, and happy to have Dave back as well. Uh, you can tell I'm a bit rusty because I've forgotten to explain what the show is, <laughs> which normally comes first. I'm doing it without the running order, just trying to decide to be a bad boy today. Mm-hmm. So we, the Mandalorians, are a really casual Star Wars podcast. Talk about the most recent Star Wars things, TV shows, films, hopefully one day we'll get there. <laughs> new ones and just anything in between as you'll hear next week hopefully um yeah and we're here to talk about finally after a little week's break the season finale of andor rick's road directed by benjamin karen again and written by tony gilroy dave this feels really weird asking you this because (laughs) in an unprecedented turn we've spent the last two nights going out Having mm. a few bevs together. Yeah. yeah. But uh, how have you been? The folks at home don't know. <laughs> That's the secret reason why you're just like, oh, I'm a bit rusty here. It's, it's because you hung over. <laughs> oh, yeah. I wasn't going to say. <laughs> That's what. That's why we're a week late. We've been on a week-long bend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we just needed time to absorb the emotions and the drama of, uh, of the latest episode. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I've been good. Um, it's been a busy time, as always, with December. Uh, catching up on a lot of work and then obviously things like Andor which are you know wrapping up and you got TV series starting new films coming out etc try and squeeze them all in cinema releases exclusive ones uh you know and again it's just trying to squeeze them all in some of which like I'm like oh no it's already gone things like that so December's going to be a packed one but uh yeah I think it's probably well timed that like Andor was nicely finished for December now and then we'll get something like Bad Batch in January so it can be outside of that busy period of Christmas. Yeah, it's um, it's been a wild, wildly busy time of year. Mm. Like it, it, it says a lot. I've not even been thinking about the cinema. I've just mm. got so much on. Same. I'm almost glad Andor is finished now for a while because even like making the one week commitment to sit down and watch my favorite depressing Star Wars show mm. was turning into quite a bit more than I expected. But yeah, it's great to have you back on, Dave. I can't remember your last episode. It was like midway through the season yeah i think it was um the sort of heist one where uh, you know the taking the money and all of that kind of stuff Ooh, you got on a very juicy one yeah but it was ironic because again a lot of the stuff that i've loved the most has been the kind of like political kind of like drama character moments but that was a very action heavy episode as well Mm. so i've had a lot of thoughts obviously with some of this like more mothma stuff that's going on and some of the you know emotional beats we've had with marva etc going on and then hearing you guys talk about it etc you know it's been a great joy um yeah so i I guess a lot of my uh, thoughts have built up in in that sense over time as well well that's good because i think now that we're at the end of the season we can look back on it as like a cohesive whole now Mm. because it's always a way you're watching through it's got these mini arcs but you're like wondering where's it going and I never thought we'd be watching a Star Wars show with like the season finale is based around a, a riot at an old woman's funeral, <laughs> <laughs> which is absolutely awesome. And yeah, I was just wondering, Dave, like 
what do you make of Andor now that we can take a step back? Mm. I think, you know, it's it definitely feels as if, you know, this is the first chapter. So I think, you know, we'll get a lot better idea once, you know, we get all two seasons, three seasons, however long they want to go with. You know, I know T- Tony Gilroy has said about how much they are set to do, how much he could do, how much he wants to do. Um, but like the series itself, you know, I think those first three episodes, you knew it was built into something. And I think that while I think a lot of people have had the reaction of kind of like, this is one I want to see in season two. Oh, can't wait for season two and we get to get Yavin and we're going to be jumping in time and getting more of the rebellion stuff. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just happy getting what we've had so far. You know, I don't need to like go more Rogue One-ish with this. I don't need to go more traditional rebellion. I'm happy continuing what we've had, you know, obviously give season two its own kind of personality and, and twist, but um, I don't necessarily need to go down the route of, oh, we need to meet K2SO. We need to find out how Yavin was established. None of that really interests me that much. So I guess in some ways I'm a bit more fearful of season two. And I think that this will be hard to top for me. Um, You know, when I tried to look at it as all the Star Wars shows, you know, I was still even like, you know what? You know, I did absolutely love Mando season two. And there was so many highs during that. So many like fantastic Star Wars moments. And a frog lady. (laughs) Yeah, and and the frog lady. (laughs) And that was the thing. I was like, you know... A lot of people are coming out saying this is their, you know, favorite Star Wars show. And even me, who's been, you know, one of the more critical people against things like Mando and especially Book of Boba Fett, I was still kind of like, you know what, it could be level pegging for, you know, Mando season two. But then I thought about it and I was like, there was the spider episode <laughs> of that season, which brings it down. Um, But also, I think I just need to give it credit for, you know, I, I don't want it to be you know, this is what Star Wars should be, or this is what, you know, a, a Star Wars television series should be. But I think it very much is just that Disney has owned Lucasfilm for this amount of time. And there's been so much of that, like, you know, nostalgic, high-flying, campy kind of Star Wars stuff, that this is what I've been waiting for for a long time. And I think that, you know, they've needed that. They've needed something different rather than just the same tone all the time. And I think Mando did manage to bring that in some way or form as well by having those Western vibes, having a bit darker elements. And like I said, season two was able to bring us stuff like with Bill Burr's character with the like, you know, the dark moments in, of his history and um, with uh, like the opening episode season two was such a like fantastic sort of like set piece in itself. Mm. So I think that that definitely still is very much up there. But I just need to give this credit as actually being, you know, a full-fledged, television series in which you know there's characters there's subplots there's different locations you go into different characters and all of that is kind of like shown within this episode really like the fact that we're not just following Jess Cassian or it's not going to what are the enemies up to you go into actual different beats and different characters even just somebody like that guy who rats Cassian out you know you kind of follow mm. him at one point so it feels like other people said and I think you've said on this podcast you know like a HBO series in the sense of like it's very serious and it kind of is using drama and emotion and character beats and music and everything in in all the right ways. And this is the only Star Wars show I've actually recommended to even the most like skeptical of Star Wars fans, like people who are like, oh, I only like the originals, you know, I, I've, I've not really been into that new stuff. Or, you know, they maybe just haven't watched the Mando stuff or the, they haven't got Disney+. Plus. This is the only show, even for somebody who wouldn't hasn't watched Star Wars, I think I could confidently say you can watch Andor. So this is the one, Dave. I'm I'm mm. almost tempted 
to see if my parents would like it. Oh. And that is such... Uh, mm. Anyone who's followed the show knows I come from a anti-Star Wars household. <laughs> which is very strange I turned out the way I did, looking mm. back on it. But I think the stuff that they don't connect with is the fantastical elements. Mm. But, you know, I think this... Because it kind of goes away from that in so many ways and focuses on, like, more, like, interesting character nuance rather than, like, the broad hero-villain archetypes we used to... Mm. But while also having like a very clear sense of morality, which I really like, I don't think it's as grey as people say, you know, it's like, oh, they're doing bad things too. It's like, well, they're doing bad things to the worst people ever. And, you know, I kind of like that. Something I've been thinking about with like Indiana Jones coming back is like, all right, I've got my feelings and what the movie looks like, but I will be happy to see Harrison Ford like killing Nazis on a big screen again. That's like, mm-hmm. can be a joy. And ultimately, even if, again, you know, when I'm talking about comparing to the other series, you know, you look at something like, uh, you know, The Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett is all we've had so far. But if you just look at TV series as a whole, like I said, it'd be maybe even more difficult for me to say with Clone Wars and stuff like that. I think I saw a ranking video from uh, a creator I really enjoy, uh, Jesse Gender, on YouTube. And she put Andor like right at the top, you know, because again, she was saying, you know, it really speaks to me. I love this kind of like, you know, fighting against fascism stuff, the political ideas in it you know it, it just all speaks to you know her kind of interests and it's similar to me but also she put Clone Wars quite high because while she acknowledged that there's some highs and there's some lows you know the highs are so good that it was still kind of like A tier but just not the S tier in that kind of like ranking people often use um, and I think that even though there's been this idea that Disney has kind of embraced the more like nostalgic adventure kind of stuff at the end of the day we still get season seven of clone wars we still had bad batch which i think give me a lot of the kind of like development and exploration of the galaxy which i wanted so we've not been completely without that um i think it is difficult to compare the animated and the live action stuff but again if i was to go back to that ranking i think even bad batch would still be up there with you know season mm. two of mando and Andor. um so i don't think it's as black and white as saying like this is just nine nine number one etc but unfortunately and it goes to show i've not even mentioned kenobi yet i just think that you know book of boba fett and kenobi would just unfortunately be quite low down for me just because they're just more forgettable for me and i just don't think that there was much purpose to them whereas here i think that what i really appreciate about it and this is what makes me not not see it as kind of like this is my favorite this is the Mm. worst similar to you know like other franchises like dc marvel that there's so many elements of work in but this is the one that I appreciate and love the most and I think works the most and I think is what they should take going forward. Again, not necessarily being like every show should be this dark, gritty thriller. What I mean is that every show should have its own personality, should be kind of looking at the core parts of television, like characters, locations. Yeah. Ferrex feels like a place, a real place. Star Wars hasn't done that for a long time. It's just snow planet, forest planet. Ferex isn't a place, it's a people. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, you know, the fact that through this show and through this episode especially, that they imp- they make such a... The world building is fantastic. It's not just the galaxy. And that's what makes you feel the themes of rebellion. It's the idea of, like, these pockets, as um, Nemec says, are building. And that's what gives you the idea when you watch Return of the Jedi, you kind of understand that almost a bit more, that you're not, like... Oh, how did, like, the entire galaxy get freed from just this one battle that happened off somewhere? But this kind of supports the idea of, like, everyone fighting this battle and being, 
inspired by that. So I think that I appreciate that this show is able to kind of do what things like Game of Thrones and things have done in the past of like making you really understand the place, like the, the you know the funeral and the stone, and you become a part of the brick mm. and everything like that. It's kind of really giving you a a sense of uh identity yeah, to the yeah, planet yeah. which i really love and i think that that's again really speaks to like what i love about like fantasy and science fiction when you can really be like oh how does this yeah. work where does you know like what are the the world building the fundamentals the mechanics of this mm. world i really like speaks like to the, the kind idea of, of like industry being so part of their culture like yeah. that they an anvil yeah is like such a symbol of like i don't know is he the guy who wakes everyone up in the morning <laughs> but yeah. it, we all love that guy and yeah, again, when you die, becoming part of this place. Yeah. I think it's really great. I, I think there's a culture in the real world where when you die, you're like buried under the floorboards of your family home. Okay. And it's like, so you're always there. Not even a creepy way, because when you think about it, oh, that is actually quite nice. Mm. Maybe I would like to be haunted by a loved one. <laughs> it's, yeah, kind of like uh, the Day of the Dead in, you know, Mexico, etc. Yeah. It's that idea of like, you know, that you must like put out the things that were their favorites and they will come and you celebrate you know their death and mm. remember them etc and it's you see that yeah with you know many cultures is like how they experience death and uh, japanese culture you know they're very spiritual mm. and all that kind of stuff so i think it's just good to kind of like explore that within the star wars universe and not just say that everywhere is the same um and i guess it kind of has been refreshing for a lot what a lot of people would be like oh i'm sick of tatooine i'm sick of <laughs> desert planets you could look at ferrix and say that's some form of desert planet in a way but again it's it goes to show that this kind of world building is what makes it distinct mm. and i think that that's what's been really unique here so yeah as as a whole i really absolutely love this series it's just had so many great characters so many moments that moved me just many mo uh, moments that made me emotional not just this episode but like throughout the series but this episode particularly i did choke up quite a few times watching it the first time um and it goes to show as many people have said i think tony gilroy said himself people were like oh you know what do you think of the criticism that the first three episodes were a bit slow etc etc and he said well how would you get to the stage of where we're at now if you didn't have those you know that's what i felt was so important about those three episodes and i wouldn't say to anybody like oh it's a bit of a slow burn in the first three episodes there's entire series that are like that, you know, people say that about Breaking Bad, or it takes a while, it takes about four series for it to get good or something, and you're like, that's a long time. I'm happy to go through three episodes until something gets really juicy, but I'm not even joining that idea that the th first three episodes aren't good, because I think they are excellent, mm. but I think he's right, I think that those were required and needed, and people who say... You could skip out that second one. You could have combined it into an hour-long thing. Like, no, that's not the point. Mm. You have to have that time of, like, slower, more boring stuff to get that sense of place, you know. So I think it's just been fantastic to see this given to Star Wars. And to go back to my original point, I think that's what you need to do when approaching these projects is, like the Acolyte, like Ahsoka, they all just have to have their own sense of what it's about. So that can be crazy. Star Wars can't be fun. We look at was a skeleton crew mm. that could be very like that wants to be like an Amblin movie. Yeah, exactly. Like, so I'm not a good pitch. You know? So I'm not going to be there like saying that's not what Star Wars is. You know, it shouldn't be fun and with kids and stuff. Of course, it, it should be. But again, as long as it feels like its own thing, it doesn't just feel like, you know, Mando version three or like, you know, yeah. its, its own offshoot of just one of the films. It, it needs to feel like its own thing. It needs to feel like a series. Embrace the kind of like however many episodes it's got. And yeah just find out what works for that story and especially with 
this set series as well, 12 episodes I think were really required. I think we've said before, like MCU and stuff, six to eight episodes, I don't think is enough time either, as we saw with maybe something like Kenobi. So yeah, I think that this is just really the formula I think that they need to use going forward in terms of structure and characters and how you approach television basically i i really disagree with what you said about kenobi day i don't mm. think it was it had too many episodes i think it's, it should have just been a movie yeah because yeah. i think it just felt like they added a lot of stuff into about it out and I, mm. i'm like i like kenobi i yeah. thought it was good and i always feel like kind of crazy sometimes when i hear that some people really hated it i was like yeah. oh i just thought it was you know a nice little kind of cheap fun adventure with, yeah with a great lead actor you know mm. but i get it and uh yeah and i think i'm also disagree with you on i think it's really easy to rank these shows in like mm. a binary it's like i think this is by far the best like star wars tv thing mm. i would say live action or animation because like you said you know there's like it's hard sometimes to recommend clone wars because mm. you only think of the really great episodes yeah not like the arc where they're in the lemur camp or whatever it's like <laughs> oh my god go back to tony gilroy though like it's all needed for the wider experience <laughs> uh no it's not <laughs> But yeah, but I think you're right. It like really succeeds in what it's set out to do. Because mm -hmm. I, I keep thinking back like a dark dream I can't escape mm -hmm. of um, the Book of Boba Fett episodes we did. Mm -hmm. When we were like, I feel like we're constantly trying to work out what is the concept of this show. Yeah, yeah. Because going in, you're like, oh, it's about a guy who wants to become like a crime boss. But mm -hmm. he's like, oh, but he's like a ethical crime boss. Yeah. It's like, what does he want? What does he want? Whereas this, I think um, it just works in so many angles and even by having like just so many new characters as well, by the end of it, you, you've no confusion about who they are or what they want. That's exactly it. There's the amount of new characters now, and I'm excited by these mm. characters. And again, I'm not like, they're like, oh, I want to see a book with this guy, but it's just nice that Andor has its own cast as well. The it least, doesn't rely on like other characters. Yeah, the least appealing cast of Funko Pops probably yeah. ever. <laughs> like, I want my Cyril Kern eating his cereal. <laughs> Hey, I'll take a Brasso Funko oh, with yeah. him with like Marva's stone yeah. <laughs> any day of the week. I really want to edit that clip of him and have a wrestling commentator. Yeah. It's like, by God, he's got a slam. <laughs> he killed that man. <laughs> oh, he's, great. He, he's taken the tomb. He's taken the grave. <laughs> it's the Undertaker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's so good because we, we just rewatched it before we started recording. And I loved it the first time I saw it. But, you know, we had a week off. And I hadn't seen it. And I forgot, yeah, like you said, like, it's so emotional. Mm. I know that's, like, such a boring, vague word to use. But mm. it, like, lights a fire in your belly. You're, like, yeah, yeah. You're so into it. And it's, like, I love that it brings back the Nemec speech. Mm. Or, you know, I hope that continues in season two. I love hearing Nemec's, like, yeah. little asides from his manifesto. And, yeah. And all just seeing, like, how brilliantly all these storylines converge here. Mm. I'd say my one big criticism in this episode is I don't feel like two of my favorite characters, Cyril and Dedra, got enough screen time. Mm. Which, you know, but I think obviously the, the aim of this episode is to finally like bring them together mm. for this very, very messed up... In Sally romances again. Just, I heard it discussed as... Yeah. And, you know, I love that Patrick Willems did a, <laughs> an edit of their scenes to um, the Taylor Swift song, oh, Mastermind, okay. and it's very funny. I need to see that. <laughs> and now, thanks to Twitter's complete lack of oversight, it's up there despite copyright claims. So, right. yeah, everyone check out. It's nice to see Patrick Willems enjoying Star Wars again, because I think he's been checked out for a while. Mm, yeah, exactly. I've seen a lot more people like brought on board now by these, by these series. And, yeah, 
I would possibly agree. I think the the person who's been most shortchanged is possibly Cyril, and I was not quite sure where they were going with his character. Like the fact you kept seeing him in this job, he was still obsessed with Andor, and I think once you saw the last episode, you were kind of like, oh. They're going to use it to kind of bring all these storylines together and it's all going to kick off. And I'm not sure if it quite did for that aspect of it. I think it definitely does for Bix mm. and or, you know, all of his friends, the Marvel stuff. I think all of that is excellent. But I think the one thing that just didn't quite fit into the like, oh, they're all coming together is Cyril. Just because I, I it worked in the sense of like, yeah, he was there to rescue Deidre. But again, I'm like confused. It's like... So is he obsessed with her or is he obsessed with Andor? I, 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 I don't know. But I think if we see next season, obviously, like him as like her right-hand man, that kind of mm. will make sense at that stage. Um, but I think even from the get-go, you were kind of like, who is this character? Who is this guy? And I think if that kind of security force were like the, the enemies of the series, it would have made more sense. But because they kind of like dipped out, mm. I was kind of just left there then thinking like, well, what is the point of this guy? Is he going to just be there like almost like a bounty hunter or someone like after and or the entire series and obsessed with him. And yeah, we never really quite got that. So yeah, I, I agree that maybe they were a bit shortchanged or it might've just been nice to have some sort of confrontation with him and, and or I didn't feel Deidre as much. I think we still had like mm. the, the scene with her and uh, the major part guys. Yeah. I think that that worked quite well again of, demonstrating their ideologies and their approaches to control and wiping the taste of Aldani from the emperor's mouth yeah and uh i think uh, jake highlighted this line as well when i was speaking to him is uh this wasn't a dialogue deidre you know mm. very you know putting down the law like you know this was there's no question about what mm. we were doing we needed to make a statement etc and i think that it's quite interesting because as we've seen to go back to some of the other stuff i've loved this season which i haven't discussed on air is um you know with uh saw like those conversations mm. like especially that one where he was just like separatist you know like a mm. name in all of those different groups and again it's you know it's very accurate you know you do have these kind of like even in politics and stuff like that you know it's like green party labor lib dems you know it's like all these different like factions of what everybody ultimately wants as one end goal um, which is just you know a fairer better society and but you're not going to get it because it's so split and fractured. And then that idea of, again, like sacrificing uh, Krieger and, you know, mm. for the greater good and everything. And it's almost like both the Empire and the Rebellion have done that, that they've both used it as this kind of like image piece for what they ultimately want each other to think. And, yeah, I think that, you know, Deidre is a great character. I think that she's mm. just such, such an interesting villain. I think she had some great moments in this episode where... They were looking at the town and she, you know, they were saying, well, have snipers on the roof. She was like, nope, you know, this is the way I do things. Mm. We're not having snipers. She wanted to look around the town at first. And yeah, just really got the sense of her taking control of the situation, coming in, death troopers behind mm. her, which I think Star Wars Explained said, you know, even though sometimes they can be a bit underpowered as stormtroopers can be, you know, some shit's going to go down or someone's important mm. when they've got death troopers with them. So I think that that really sort of like helps her stature as well. So I, I enjoyed what we had of her in, in this. And I think that hopefully it'll be leading some, to some good stuff in season two. 
Yeah, and I, I really like in this episode as well, just because um, Stellan Skarsgård in the last few episodes has had like some amazing monologues and mm. scenes with other actors. Exactly. And this one, it's like he's mostly in the background looking absolutely fed up mm-hmm. until the end we gets a little smile. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's just a nice way to like use his screen time without having to spend too much time like engaging in dialogues, as, as um, Paratica has said. Mm. But his, again, his story just comes across so clearly. Mm. I love that final scene of him and Cassian. I think that's a great place to end it on for now because mm. i think and i like that tony gilroy i know you mentioned it earlier has just said like oh yeah next season we'll have yavin and k2so he's mm. just like very out and open it's not like yeah waiting for celebration to be like and we will be going to where it all started yeah and yeah as like that's just not what his deal is mm. so i like we avoid all that stuff um yeah no really juicy stuff and yeah, I can't wait to see more. This is going to be the hardest one to wait for, mm. I feel like. That's true, yeah, especially when they haven't, they've not filmed yet, whereas, like, often, like, Mando, well, we've had a big wait with that one, but it's almost like the second season is being filmed as the current one is going out kind of thing, so we yeah. know it's not that situation, so it's going to be a longer wait in that sense. And we got a lot of Star Wars come up next year, and I think that's what's interesting as well, is you've got some like Bad Batch Season 2, which, again, I'm excited for because I love the first season so much. Mando season three, which I'm a bit skeptical of just because of certain story points, but still, you know, it, it's had some big strengths in the past. And then Ahsoka, which could go one of two ways. It could very much buckle or be affected by this kind of like Filoniverse aspect or like Favreau Filoniverse and borrowing characters and them dipping in and out. Hopefully they've learned their lessons there. But also what they've sold it as is like this samurai show and about the force and have the they Jedi. sold it as that? I've not. Apparently, yeah, I think, fa- well, not sold it as, but fa- uh, Favreau, when interviewed, he said, like, this is like a samurai story. Um, so it's kind of like maybe the vibes of that Ahsoka episode we had in season two is just like that will be the aesthetic for the for the season, I assume. I just hope it's more of an homage, you know, I hope mm. there's like a bit of depth today. Because that's, yeah. that's what I worry about. Because I really liked that Ahsoka Mando season two episode. Mm. But again, it is just kind of all pastiche mm. of like your Jimbo and all that. I was like, oh, I'd like it if they dug a little deeper to find a way to actually kind of connect these themes a bit more. I think they can. I think, again, that's where it's like the two avenues where whether it's going to be like Mando sometimes can be like, we're paying tribute to this and it's kind of like the high flying stuff. But again, like you said, you're not digging deep into it. It's kind of just only paying tribute sometimes. Whereas if they're able to embrace it enough and weave it into the story and to the kind of vibe of the show like and or you know mm. make it you know the not just the like oh it's a political thriller like on the surface level but underneath it's just the same old star wars kind of stuff i think if the writing and the sort of direction of it all really comes together and they don't get distracted by the wider universe i think it could could be like that so ahsoka is probably the biggest question mark for me mando season three we probably know what we'll get but i'm not sure if i'll be as invested and Bad Batch Season 2 I'm really excited for and don't know where that's going to go. So mm. that's almost like my most anticipated one. So that's why I suppose next year in terms of Star Wars projects, there's the less exciting stuff for me. And I think that that's what will, what will make me want Andor mm. Season 2 even more. And especially the Acolyte, because everything that the creator mm. there has said about it seems like she's on the same wavelength of Tony Gilroy being like, these themes and these elements of Star Wars are very important. And this is, you know, we're doing a television show here and... It looks like they have a great cast and you know mm. great talent involved. So those are those are the ones I'm most excited for. So it will make the wait a bit more tricky. But again, we might get blown away by every series 
coming next year so we might be on a different different tone <laughs> this time yeah. next year and of course um visions is coming back mm. with a uh, presumably an irish cartoon which i'm very mm. excited about um yeah i think what almost excites me about the acolyte i realized more than the concept which i think is exciting is the fact the person making it is someone who makes tv shows like mm. she knows the job because i've been i've been ranting a bit lately about just like the idea of you know the rings of power which which you know, is a fine show and mm. i have nothing against it really i didn't finish it but that, that's all right <laughs> but just the idea that the guy's making it had never made a show before and mm. suddenly they're making the most expensive tv show ever made yeah i was like just from like a a basic completely neutral level i think that is a terrible idea mm. and i think some of the response obviously there's the obvious dumb responses to a lot of stuff in that show that i'm not going to entertain mm. but a lot of the criticisms i think do play into it of like yeah they, they've got heavy material but also they don't have that much material to work with and mm. it's it, yeah it, it's messy but i love that you know um the creative Russian doll, mm. Headland. Uh, yeah. Um, Lena? Lisa? L uh, Lisa Headland, I think, yeah. Let's say Lisa. I'm yeah. sorry if we're wrong. Yeah. Uh, nothing but respect. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that she just has kind of a, a sandbox to play in. Mm. I'm like, I really hope this is like a Gilroy situation. They're letting her do her thing. She does like very interesting, twisty, turny storytelling mm -hmm. based on Russian doll. I haven't seen season two yet. I do need to catch up. And... Yeah, no, very exciting. I know we're talking about every other Star Wars show on the horizon, but, you know, that's where we are. We're looking at a new year now. and Yeah, this one is wrapping up. And what does it mean, like I said, for mm. those other shows? And, you know, how does it compare to them, etc.? And I think that even you look at Mando season three and the trailer for that is very much like going down that darker route, looking at, you know, Mandalore and the kind of drama of uh, the culture and facing yeah. off against you know katie sackoff spokatan etc so even that seems like you know it's going down a darker route so you know i i guess that tone in some ways is there to stay and a lot of people say that like you were saying with television is that writing for film and writing for television are completely mm. different things the same way as like somebody writing a book or writing a comic book are completely different things so i think it is important to get on board those type of people who who know how to do it and understand you know, the importance of building amongst several episodes and getting invested in characters. And definitely, you know, for me, I think that that's what works the most here with Andor, if we're talking mm. about, like, characters especially. I think while there's, like, a whole host of uh, highlights for me, I think that, you know, Marvel, re you know, really worked because they built her up throughout the series. I think the fact that they left her, like, death on off screen was really mm. effective. I think there was, like, the the best way of doing it and i think you like one of the highlights for me was when um brasso is talking to cassian and you get that moment of him having to tell cassian her last mm. words to him but you don't get any sort of goofy flashback or like a mm. recording or anything i think it hits so much more that he's having to say that and it's really refreshing because it's a kind of like not a typical masculine kind of moment i think like in the 90s or something they would be like oh we can't have this big strong guy saying about like how his mum loves him but you know these days i think that it's it's a lot more open to that and i think mm. that that's what's really nice about that moment especially after it's come after this big embrace they have they really sort of like hug each other you know you can really get an idea of that kind of like brotherhood amongst them mm. and that how much the one one another means to each other even though they've really only had a few scenes and bits of dialogue together I think the way that they built up Brasso throughout the series has really worked and built him up to this moment, like having that first moment of rebellion in the first arc mm. where he chained up that that ship. Um, and 
you know, I think, yeah, by having Marva then with the hologram, it makes it more impactful then that you do get to eventually see her and see what she was thinking on her deathbed, which kind of makes up for the fact that you didn't see her death, etc. So I think they, it all hits all the more and it just makes it more realistic. That's the vibe of the show again, is this going for this kind of idea of like, this is real, real life. Mm. And Cassia might have not made it to, to a deathbed just as somebody else might have not made it to weird comparison but you know like the queen like was it meant to be like princess anne was the only one there at her bedside because literally her other children will have to like fly over to get there and stuff like that but that's that's real life that's what happens you know it's the same with families and so i think that it just shows the realism that the show is going for and i think that that works very well and of course my favorite guy which we have got here in some way or form, thanks to Jake, who got me a very thoughtful birthday present, which is a B2 Funko Pop. I think one of my favorite, most heartbreaking moments of the season was like in that, is it the last episode? Mm. When he's just like, you know, like, my mama might return. And like, you know, we're again, Brasso is just so like kind to this mm. little droid. And he's like, I'll stay here tonight with you and everything. And he's just a, like a little dog. And like, they play him that way, which is obviously why I, guess so like invested in him as a character but i think that that's what my takeaway from this again is just like i've got this like new favorite character because he just works so well like everything about him just really reflects what the show is about which is just like just keep trying just keep going on and you know cassian is the one like even that moment at the end like really got me when cass you know like everyone's like who's coming up to the ship when they're trying to escape Mm. and then it's it's B2 who realizes Cassian, you know, mm. and that was, you know, really endearing because it's this, like, it's like a dog, like wagging its tail, mm. seeing its owner, etc. And I think that all just, you know, him and Brasso like really worked and really broke my heart in the second, you know, the last episode because he, he didn't feel like Marvel was gone. He didn't want to leave. And then this episode, especially to have him there on the front line of that, like March, I was just like, oh man, you're killing me. Like just seeing him there, just like this little droid, like this little trash can leading the march, mm. doing the projection, like, cause you felt like he was like, he's doing it for Marva, you know, he's, he's doing it because that's what he was like tasked to do. And I think that it just works so much better than what you can have with other characters like that, you know, in terms of like, oh, R2 has got this, you know, the, the, the secret item buried within him etc and obviously that works when it's in that storyline but it just comes across as like this is all that more endearing in this moment it's kind of like why i love that r2 moment at the end of mando season two oh again, here we go yeah you know here we go but it's just again that like how these type of droid characters can just carry such like childlike uh charm and you know like naivety amongst them and i think that yeah he he was definitely a highlight for me for this episode just Seeing him like at the front of that that march, as I said, is just 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 got me. That moment where it stops and then he starts again, and the music mm, swells up. That's... Oh, great stuff! It feels like <laughs> something from like Les Mis. Mm. You could imagine him singing. Do you hear the people sing or something like that it as was. they go along? That entire scene, like I said, we could go into, but you know, I think because it's so impactful to the mm. entire episode, just this idea of like something is building, the tension that's built up throughout that. And that's one of those moments, like you said, it like, oh no, you know, it's kicking off. But the last thing I'll say with B2 as well is uh, it did lead to my, uh, a new character making my, uh, what I called the uh, MHF list, which is characters within television sometimes, which I find are my most hated fucker. Um, 
and it's that guy who tips over B2. This guy is now on the list. How dare you tip over B2? <laughs> is he on the list with the Stormtrooper who punches Grogu? <laughs> no, that's funny. That, I, 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 that, well, you're going to hate me, Dave, because I, I love B2 as well. When he mm. gets tipped over, I cackled. You did. I, it I, is I sat, quite funny. I, I did hear you like laugh during that moment. I, I can understand like the funniness of it, but again, like how dare he? Mm. Um, when, yeah, Krogu again, not weird. Like my levels of uh, tolerance that like <laughs> a guy can punch a baby, but a guy can't tip over like a trash can robot. Robot, but it's quite funny when you think about that uh, because um, he wasn't even Grogu back then; he was still Baby Yoda, mm. which I still like saying. But because Obviously, they didn't know exactly how people would react to Baby Yoda at that point. (laughs) They could do things like that. And I wonder, are we ever going to get any random acts of violence against Baby Yoda again? Because I think it's very funny when it happens. Because it is like, at the end of the day, tossing a puppet around. Yeah. Some of the joyous stories. It's it's just, that moment works as just that darker humor. It's like, if you've seen like the newest Guardians of the Galaxy trailer, you know, it's that idea of like Drax throwing the basketball at the little child kind of thing. It's just that like, because it's like, oh God, like, you know, it's that moment of like, this character is either really naive or it's just like, shouldn't be funny, but it is because like, it's not something that would happen or should happen in real life. Whereas again, like the B2 thing is because he's actually putting out this big important message and like he can't defend himself and how dare you like tip him over like that especially after you tried to like cover him etc so uh yeah screw that guy <laughs> I, I don't want to let it go that a few minutes ago you made like fan fiction speculating the events of the death of the queen of england that was very interesting that did that that, that has been said i know apparently like princess anne oh, was the only it? one at her bed they've said like she was the only one at her bedside and everyone else had to like come and they were there after she died well after after watching the first season of crown i wanted she put a pillow over her face that's some interesting <laughs> well stuff. wow that that that's now dark. i'm doing my fan now fiction. you're definitely doing yeah. fan fiction yes. ah well i'm irish i'm allowed it's my birthright <laughs> um also just like i love the imagery of you know the marvel projection mm. i found something very haunting about it because She's dead, you know, and mm. it is like almost a ghost telling them to like fight. And yeah, I think they knew that. That, that really like that line she says, which is like, it's funny, it's like I can see you all before me. I was gonna say that, yeah. And I love that, you know, they mentioned early on her dream was to, to walk across Rick's Road, mm. and she kind of did in this episode. She mm. was carried and got to be used as a literal weapon against the people she hates so much. Yeah, just great stuff, like. They don't need to do that thing where it's like they have like a flashback of her saying it so the mm. audience knows. It's like, oh, it's like you watch it as a TV show you pay attention to and things characters say pay off. There's lots of things people say that pay off in visuals, especially during the prison arc about, mm. you know, systems within systems imprisoning people. Oh, great stuff. Great stuff. And that's what shows, again, how great this show has been in terms of having those 12 episodes and where we've been and gone because to me it is crazy like oh yeah there was the entire prison stuff as well so to Mm. have that's why it's nice that ferrix has kind of bookended the series because you could have easily have just gone from the first three episodes to this one etc but i think that's what's mad when you think about like oh and we did this oh and we did that so any anyone who says this show is boring like what are you on about um i don't know what's exciting if this is boring i genuinely have no idea so and then it's just the idea that as you said, it's because there's quieter moments and there's these conversations and dramatic moments between characters, you're forced to listen. And that's what makes you then remember it later on. So yeah, I absolutely love that speech. There's just so many great moments in it. Um, 
as you said, you know, in terms of her having the dead lift her was a great, like, mm. sort of uh, way of putting it, the way she said that about, and again, that goes back to what we were saying earlier, I suppose, about, like, how other cultures will see death and, and remember the dead and be inspired by them, etc. So I think that it just all built up beautifully, really, like, in that, specifically that speech. And I think that while it started off as something which was talking about the importance of their people, how it transitions into an anti-empire mm. speech is also fantastic. I suppose we should mention that uh, very strange story, the Tony mm. Gilroy finger, where originally she was not going to say fight the empire. No. Yeah. Uh, she was going to say, and paired in my French listeners, uh, fuck the empire. Yeah. And I, I don't know about you, Dave, mm. but oh my God, I'm so glad I didn't do that. Yes. Yeah. I've, I actually think that would have sucked. <laughs> I don't think it would have sucked, but it definitely would have taken me out of it. I don't. I think it was the better option to do. It couldn't. I couldn't help when I saw that. Think of that. And I, you know, you know, I strangely like the movie, but that, mm. that terrible final scene in Zack Snyder's Justice League, mm. Batman going, "I'm gonna fucking kill you, Joker." <laughs> yeah. I don't know what that voice was, but it's like, mm, I think they've undercut that by trying to like just surprise with that word. Mm. And I don't. I know the show like pushes the boundaries on some of the language. Obviously, we've had shit and. Mm bastards and crap you know eh, kind of a smaller scale of cussing but if they cross over to like f-bombs i think i think star wars would struggle then because then what becomes our new line because mm. i never want this to become a thing that kids cannot watch i know yeah. andor isn't as like immediately child friendly but it still has mm. like a cute robot yeah being pushed over you know well, it's like with shit and crap and stuff, isn't it? It's kind of like, you know, that's like a slang term. It's not too offensive. But I think, like, especially if you had, like, something like the C word dropped in, it's like <laughs> somebody would absolutely, like, that's a line, isn't it? Whereas if that's used in something like the Inbetweeners or something, yeah. then you kind of expect it there. Whereas, you know, if it was dropped in something like this, you'd be like, whoa, that is too far All kind right, of thing. Dave, question time. What character <laughs> in Star Wars do you think would drop that word? <laughs> um... Mm, there was one that just jumped to mind straight away, but then they kind of went again. I would say maybe, uh, what's his name? Um, <laughs> what, what's the man on, um, Ray's planet, Jakku, which oh, he has to give, um, like, um, plot. yes, <laughs> yeah, I can imagine him being a bit of a, a prick in that sense. One quarter portion, yes, you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose Simon Pegg could carry it, actually, you know. Yeah, so, I mean, like, maybe he was just that angry when they did fly off with the Millennium Falcon, so maybe that's <laughs> the unheard moment after that. <laughs> I'm gonna just, um, be a hack and just say Babu Frick, because I think it sounds very funny in that little <laughs> voice. <laughs> But uh, we'll move on. Yes. Um, but yeah, I think it would have been distracting. It would have taken you out of the moment. I think also there's just a line in terms of like galaxy far, far away, in which you have to believe that there would be some other, you know, we've said before about like Dank Ferric and stuff. And even that can be a bit distracting. But, you know, there's just the idea of like, to me, like an F-bomb, if you're watching a, f a film about gangs of London or the mafia or something, it makes sense because it's in their vocabulary. Mm. Whereas again, like you said, something like we've mentioned before, like we we've had issues with like Logan, the film, because again, it's just kept taking what's kind of like was originally like a family kind of friendly product and then going like, Oh, wouldn't it be cool if uh, Xavier dropped an F bomb? And it's just like, but why though? Why do we need that? You know, would like somebody's grandmother necessarily drop an F bomb? Like not necessarily. So 
I feel that like, you know, Star Wars, like everybody would be your grandmother, <laughs> but you know, maybe, you know, I don't think anybody would be that, that disrespectful, but no, I think, um, yeah. I, and I think it would also take away, and I've had this before with other things in which I'm like, people are like, oh, so cool when they say that. And I'm like, but I preferred the first bit. And I think with this one, it would have watered down the bastards line. I absolutely love that. I loved her going like these bastards, you know, he had so much weight behind it. And I was like, yeah, you know, so I think that line is actually like the F bomb for me. I think that, but it works in that mm. sense. And I think that if that then was like followed up by that, it would make that less impactful. And and it works. That one does make sense because it is like, yeah, they are mm. bastards, you know. So I think that that for me is what what works in in that sense, and that's why I think that the fight the empire works better. One also because it just actually does feel more like it's a bit more of an instruction to follow. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I think if like a riot started after that, it would be a bit less, you know, like feel like it's prompted if you know what i mean it's like oh why, why is everyone suddenly like yeah i guess they would be like yeah you're right fuck the empire but it wouldn't be like as instructional as you said yeah and also because fiona shaw is like an irish icon it should be mm. feck the empire <laughs> <laughs> they can make feck canon i don't know i don't mind that's, that's a pretty soft one but yeah no i agree i i think that's a case where like that almost would be the most shocking moment of the show. And I think it would undercut the actual shocking moments, which as we said, you know, the show has had it's touched on content, uh, content, mm -hmm. a rotten word to use, but <laughs> I mean, like, I suppose, uh, themes, not even themes, like literal things like someone committing suicide mm -hmm. and all like <laughs> more of the socioeconomic stuff, uh, child brides, mm. like, Oh, we haven't touched on that, but we, we only have two Mon Mothma scenes this week. Mm. or for this episode but i think they're both uh bangers as they say mm. i loved that scene with her telling her husband off and when while you were talking about the ahsoka show and what it could possibly be my mind went elsewhere mm. and i started to think like oh it's another samurai pa uh, homage show and i was like but maybe the star wars i want is just married couples bickering in the back of a car maybe mm. I have am i old or am i just like kind of done with what not done but kind of tired of it mm. it's it's really weird and then of course we get the last scene where they've arranged this meeting with i forget the character's name but this kind of unscrupulous banker who's gonna help her with her accounts and that they're meeting and it's like oh god is this has she kind of almost sold her soul to the devil in a way mm. it, it's troubling even though her daughter seems really up for it <laughs> which is i know i feel bad that i'm like you kind of I don't want to say deserve it, but again, it's like, I can't really sympathize too much with like a culty kind of person like that, you know, it's like, okay, you, you know, you seem to be embracing this kind of like religious cult aspect of your culture. So I guess it's kind of, you brought it upon yourself. Um, so I guess in that sense that I think everyone's always had the reaction of like, you know, we like Mom Mothma, we don't like their her wider family. And I think that that's what was... <laughs> great in the sense that she's able to throw her husband under the bus with that conversation. It was very clever. And what I loved about that is that Genevieve Lewis is the actress. O'Reilly. Uh, O'Reilly. Uh, sorry, Genevieve. I don't no, know who I Genevieve know. Lewis is. I, that might be somebody I actually know. Oh, maybe. Um, yeah, Gen <laughs> Genevieve O'Reilly. Um, the fact that you can just tell so much about that scene just from her facial expressions and the way mm. she's breathing. You don't even like... And again, that's where, like, if this was, like, a more dumb show, 
then it would be like flashing to some kind of like scene where she's talking to her sister, like I'm going to throw him under the bus or something, or like you're going to like see some kind of thing that makes intent like obvious what she's doing. But you can just tell what she's doing just purely from her reactions. Like before it, she's like, oh God. And then as soon as they have that conversation, you're like, well, where's this gambling thing come from? And then as soon as they stop talking, she's like, oh. and you can just see it in her face, like, oh, I've just done it. And you're like, oh, I see, you know? So it's just purely from her performance that you, you're sold the weight of that decision and how scared she feels by doing it and it's just a masterful thing for her to do like she knows her driver is listening to her and again this goes back mm. to what you said like we're not stupid we've heard her say that in like the the fourth episode mm. is it like you know my taxi uh my chauffeur is like you know a spy and everything like that so we know that and she knows that and she's using it to her advantage and that's what I've always loved about this Mon Mothma stuff is that idea of like, you know, they're watching me. We hear it with uh, Blethin later on that he's like, um, you know, oh, there's some suspicious stuff going on with their accounts. Just that idea of like, you know, the government like watching somebody's bank account like that, you know, it is, you know, oppression and very like fascist sort of thing to do. And I think that, yeah, it's just, it's been fantastic to see how she's maneuvered the politics and the kind of system she's in and to see the fear that she has all the time but mm. because she's doing it because she believes in the cause and i think that's why i would hope for season two we've had a bit of it i think with um is it the gormans i think is like you've heard a bit about their plight you know with the trade you know they said mm. oh they're starving i hope we get to see mothma kind of seeing it firsthand like what she's fighting for because obviously she's been so coruscant based It'd be nice to see her kind of reacting or seeing the the date the we haven't really seen her see mm. the damage the empire's done we've seen it like in the political spectrum but not the actual kind of like how it's affecting the people because i'm assuming even chandrilla maybe isn't all that affected by the empire apart from just you know they're more strict and they're watching their money and all that kind of stuff but yeah i just absolutely loved all the more mosma stuff i've said before i'd happily take a tv show of that mm. kind of stuff um, it reminds me of, as I, uh, advi advised, advised, <laughs> um, I'm turning into that banker guy. Um, as I suggested in the first review we did of, um, the first three episodes of Man in the High Castle, because that show is all about alternate history in which the Nazis rule America. And that very much is there's Americans who then have to become Nazis and work as a part of their party and they have to very much like that child and stuff like they have to join the hitler youth and like if they're ill and stuff like that they're seen as weak and they should be killed and there's like parents in that show then who like if they're like married to a high official nazi then they have to like go along with it and they're constantly scared and there's that idea of like oh we're putting on this like cheesy grin and like we love the you know we love hitler and like they're embracing the culture well, and was, doing was the that parties. Kanye west who said that? <laughs> So it very much speaks to that that idea of like you're being watched, you're being mm. monitored all the time. If you tread slightly out of line and it's like those moments of courage in which they have to like put their life on the line and really risk everything, which again, Genevieve O'Reilly has really showcased in her performance. And yeah, it's just, and it goes back to the Marvel thing that she says that there's this darkness at the center of the galaxy and it's reaching out mm. and it's growing like rust. That's what was so great about that because again, they're not being two on the nose she's like palpatine is a dickhead you know kind of thing it's like it's this idea that like the the galaxy would see it as like you know this is a disease as she says and 
it's this this darkness it's not like just this one man is behind it it's this kind of like influence that this idea of an empire mm. has had on everyone and it's people like Tarkin, Deidre all these people and, and it's an interesting double meaning because she's saying mm. it metaphorically but we know from watching the Star Wars <laughs> films that that is like the, the darkness is a literal force mm. is, yeah um, exactly yeah. Story. And I thought that was like a, a clever way I think I think the intention was to kind of pay homage, but without having everyone know that. Because mm. as far as I know, we've never even had a mention of... Have we even had a mention of the Force in this entire we've show? We've had like a kyber crystal, but that's about it really, isn't it? So it's like... Oh, I forgot about that, yeah. But I think that's what's also good, like when you're looking at other shows and stuff, like if we were to mention Skeleton Crew again, it's that idea of like, you can have a show in which you don't have to mention any of this stuff. And it makes you believe more that people were like, oh, Jedi, they're just a myth or whatever, because mm. it's a big galaxy... Jedi really only are a very small percentage of that. So, yeah, it just makes you invested in the world of Andor more when you're not distracted by other elements as much. And um, yeah. you were telling me earlier about the fan theory that, mm. uh, that Lufin is, what, Count Dooku's grandson? Uh, well, I, <laughs> oh, what? I just kind of jokingly theorized grandson, but people think there's some connection, like he might have been his apprentice or something like that because... He has the staff in the previous episode when he's talking to uh, Saw and people are like, is that a lightsaber, etc.? Um, and then the kyber crystal thing. So, And then for some reason, it's just because he seems to align with separatist ideals. That for some reason, that might be a Dooku connection. I but don't Do know. Dooku, I don't think, even did, really. Mm, it's yeah. Just, yeah, it's it's very weird. And I think this is part of like the problem with how a lot of pop culture media is engaged with now is everything seems to be looking out for is like is this a reference is this going to be a thing is he sauron you know like thing things cannot just be we can't just take them at face value Everything's is that what you secret. wondered was luthan sauron, was luthan sauron? <laughs> is that gandalf <laughs> where am i yeah and uh, do you think would like personally aside from stupid like you know is he dooku <laughs> But do you even feel that you need to know who Luthen is? Like, not even, I'm talking about, like, he's Obi-Wan's grandson or whatever, that kind of bullshit. I feel like I do, do you, know who he is. Do you feel you need to know what his past is or why he's doing what he's doing? No, because he's he's made it so clear, his mm. whole thing. I don't need to know, like, oh, I lost my wife yeah. to the Empire or something. Mm. You know, I don't need any of that because we can just take at face value. This is a man mm. who really hates the Empire and has become, like a weird fake person, mm. you know, leading these double lives to fight them. And that's enough. Not everything needs to be backstory. Uh, I don't like lore being kind of weaponized. Like, when are we going to find out about him? Mm. And I think that's just a problem. I'm not having a go at the films, but I think almost the prequels set that going, this idea of having to go back and explain things. Before we could just take a face value, that's mm. Darth Vader. Mm. He used to be a guy. Mm. Turn, you know? yeah. And, you know, I'm... I'm I'm happy inside in many ways when they do go back in these things because I find it, I do find it interesting, don't get me wrong. Mm. But I think it's led to a point where everything, almost every character now is becoming a Wikipedia page. We mm. just go, learn more, learn more. Yeah. He was in this game, he was in this book. I feel like we've tried, we've like covered that kind of problem a lot, a lot over the, is it years we've been doing this show now? Mm. It probably is. But I think what I like about this is a character's come in, I know what their deal is. And that's enough. And I think that it goes to the idea of like, um, I'm not sure which book it is, but uh, I've not read any of the Star Wars books, but I think people have said the, you know, the celebration at the end of Return of the Jedi. It's like, oh, 
well, that puts a dampener on there if you read what happens in the book, apparently, like, you know, the celebrations in Coruscant, apparently the Empire comes yeah. in and starts, like, you know, beating people up or something. I'm like, I don't need to know that. I don't care. I prefer to take the face value of what that film and what that moment is telling me and kind of, yeah, make up my own story in my head because it, it matches with everything here. Again, do I necessarily need to now see, like, Cassian and... Luthen like pick up straight away where yeah. this like scene is left off. Do you remember that yeah. incredibly funny Elijah Wood tweet a few years ago? It was after Rise of Skywalker came out, the Star Wars official one put out a picture of all the Star Destroyers in Exegol. Okay. It was like, did you know that the Star Destroyers in Exegol were manned by the the cult of the Sith Eternal? Mm. Elijah Wood retweeted, "It's like, how would I possibly know that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how would anyone possibly know yeah, that? Yeah, exactly." And it's like, don't, if these things are important to your story, don't leave them out. Don't rely mm. on other things to fill in the gaps. Yeah. Because otherwise we're left in a situation where there's a million Star Destroyers hidden under the ice. I don't yeah. know where they came from. I don't know who's in them. I don't know why they can blow up planets, but they fly now. Mm. And it's like with the Jedi, etc. in the prequels, like I was always kind of like excited by like, who's that guy? Who's, you know, like Plo Koon, etc. with like the cool mask. Who's that? Well, that, what's that guy's story in the background with the big neck and everything like that? But again, I don't necessarily need to actually see the story. It just is that's what sparks your imagination. Mm. And I think it's fun when they're able to do things like, oh, yeah, and let's bring in, uh, what's her name? The bounty hunter with the antenna. Oh, Aura Singh. Aura Singh. Like, to me, that's like, yeah, cool. She, like, people sparked, like, oh, what's her story? Bring her, bring her into the Clone Wars, see that she's a cool character. But at the same time, I don't then need that kind of, like, this guy's cool because he killed Aura Singh. And, you know, it's like that really on-the-nose moment in Solo in which they're like, oh, people will know who that character is because it just seemed like such a, like, insert famous bounty hunter here kind of moment. And, again, I'm glad that Andor hasn't done anything like that in which they've kind of, like, name-dropped things. There's been a few, like, New Hope references and stuff like that in terms of just visuals. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I think that, you know, that that's that's been for the better. And I think that... Yeah, I agree. I, I, don't, I don't need to see Luthen's story. I think you, you can tell enough of just a guy who just doesn't like what he's seeing and he's able to use his power and his like influence um, to the betterment of everyone. And I think the fact that, you know, people could easily make the videos like, where is Luthen in A New Hope or something like that? I think is he even personally, whether he dies or not, I don't know. But I would be perfectly happy if we just didn't even see what happens to him because I think even the films make it believable that he's the type of guy who would be in the shadows and you wouldn't see there. And Mon Mothma is the face of this rebellion because he's also a very questionable character as well. And I think that's what's fascinating about him. I think that I saw a video from Star Wars Explained, which was like, oh, I struggled with some of his morals, but that's what makes him great. And that's why mm. I love, I love these kind of complex characters because he's dealing with these morality issues mm. of like you know do you send someone to their death and you know you have to make the hard choices sometimes and i'm not saying i agree with him but i agree in the sense that you do have to for the greater cause have to make those questions and that's what's interesting about that marva scene is that almost by her saying like you know fight the empire she has led a lot of those people to their death but it's because she said in her speech you know i would do it straight away i would be willing to get up and fight for what I believed in and regardless of what the outcome was and it ties in with Nemec's speech so much like you know the smallest pushes helps our cause so just the fact that it, it already suggests the Ferex is this small little thing that's happening and if you're a fan of Rebels or you know Solo any of these kind of stories that are happening within this time frame you can now understand there's all these tiny little 
sparks of rebellion because i suppose that's why i struggled sometimes with rebels was this idea of like oh is the Re rebellion just based on this just random band of misfits and then it all came from there but i much prefer the idea of like these rebellions are happening everywhere mm. and it all happens and that's what as a return of the jedi fan makes that ending so successful now in my mind like understanding that a bit more is that idea of like this isn't the fact uh, well is in his i think yeah one single thing will break the siege so i think that that goes to show again that m people might have their problem of like how is the empire stopped by just like this random boom with like a bunch of ewoks and it's like because that's the one single thing that broke the siege you know it's mm. it's the ripple effect it's you know you've killed the empire you know the emperor for one you know it's like kind of like world war Two, etc you have to kill hitler for it to all be over but i think that that well, shows it <laughs> that's not how it happened no, well yeah. you need to he needs to be dead for us you know for them to hopefully surrender etc that kind of thing well it, it just turned out the allies had to build the death star to win that war. yeah that's the, yeah, that's the, unfortunate. the messed up bit. yeah exactly but um but yeah i think ultimately it just goes to show that that's where the endor stuff can work because it's that kind of like one moment that's been taken and that's actually the thing that sparks then the more rebellions, the more, you know, those protests, those celebrations that are happening everywhere is because people have been inspired and encouraged by it, just like those people on Ferrex have been. And I think while it's a bit heavy to say, I think that's what's so relevant about Andor at the moment. And people are saying this about this show and other TV shows and films at the moment is it is so relevant. I think the Marvel is right. I think, you know, not whether I'm encouraging people to go and protest on the street personally i i in my lifetime i hope i get an orchestra walking down the streets of london walking up to parliament ready to throw some throw some shit at them um because i think we are sleeping i think people mm. feel that at the moment we've got like freaking tyrants who are like managing to use their wealth and their power for like horrible things and to like dictate the ways that like we have to like even consider whether we should heat our homes or not mm. and i think it's so relevant right now and I think that it's right that people are like, oh, well, we'll just let them be in charge for a while and then it'll be all right because then these like less awful people will be in charge, even though they've like morally lo you know, lost all of their morals anyway, but they'll still be all right. It's like, no, we are sleeping and we've been sleeping for too long. It's in the night that they're able to do this. So and we, we can rehabilitate them on game shows, apparently. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so ridiculous. So for international listeners, this, that might not make any sense, but <laughs> I promise you things are worse than we think. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that that's what works so well about that. And to to go back to that scene, I know, again, there was the um Mosma stuff and everything like that, which was fantastic. But that entire march and orchestra moment is like one of my favorite mm. Star Wars moments ever, I think. Yeah. It's just so much tension built throughout that, like just the the starting of the instruments playing, the Empire being on tenterhooks. Mm. Like, where's that sound coming from? Where's the music coming from? goes back to the first three episodes again when they were banging all the drums and the bells mm. and stuff like that to kind of rattle the empire uh, well i suppose the security forces yeah. in, in that uh, sense um and just the bravery of it all like the fact that like even somebody like a, a clarinet player or whatever you the i'm sure there's a star wars wiki about what that you know flute with the three flutes attached to it are. i love the idea of like what is a splice flute? I think that's a on the wiki. It's a jizz whaler or something. Oh wow, well, okay. No, no. <laughs> the but, jizz uh, page is incredibly uh, funny. Yeah, okay, yeah, I remember that one. <laughs> that, yeah. Um, but yeah, the idea of like how do we make the space age just add a few more things onto it and that kind of idea. But 
But the bravery of them, they are also fighting the Empire and they are putting their lives on the line. And I think those performers, mm. you all kind of see it, that like fear of like, all right, let's keep walking, keep your head down, because they know they potentially are walking to their death. And I think that that's really empowering and really emotional. And that entire, like, the music is just beautiful. One of my favorite characters there was just that guy with the white beard. He just looked like some, oh, yeah, like, yeah. you know, bad Santa. Guy. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He just looked awesome. I did have a bad Star Wars fan moment. I got admit in which it was the kind of like, is he Dooku thing in which I was like, is that Rex? <laughs> Only because it oh looked a God. bit like Tamura Morrison. And I was like, you know, I was hoping it wasn't, but I'm glad it's just some cool white bearded dude, you know, like, but, um, to, to clarify the fact he's got a white beard, I'm not saying he's cool because he's white. <laughs> um, but yeah, like the entire solar cast of characters was great. And I thought that then that showed the horror of this kind of occupation as well. It's just, you know, that moment of like open fire and just people being gunned down in the street. You know, that we're talking about World War Two. That's World War Two vibes. Some legit great explosions too. Yeah. Like some and Michael Bay level and yeah. then more grenades blow up i and love the, that the actor who plays the the, the young boy yeah, who's yeah. like dad that kid brought it like yeah, the yeah. emotion in his face the tears he sold me that moment like the you know his lip was quivering and everything he was brilliant and i think that it was great that he was rescued and put on that ship you know he, he's got a bright future ahead of him that boy <laughs> in the rebellion but um but no i think it is good that again we're getting this idea of like not like who's wedge antilles where did he come from it's that idea of like, here's these other people who might mm. be in the rebellion and they might die at some point or they might be in an important role, but we don't know any of them. And I think that that's, that's great. And that's where, you know, Brasso has become one of my favorite characters from this series is, you know, beating somebody with somebody's, you know, like funeral stone is just incredible. Obviously credit to that guy for getting beat you out of there. Um, but yeah, just the, the brutality of that moment, just the fact that there's a stormtrooper on like, a gun turret like mm. blasting people with a gun i'm like those things are usually to take down tanks and stuff but he's actually like shooting down like old women and stuff like that in the street and how long they stay on that guy's face for when he's collapsed like mm. you know what, what was your takeaway from that entire like the tension and the the horror of that scene because i think what's interesting is we're talking about the morals of people like luthan and saw Guerrero saying you know like it's for the greater good and these people have to be sacrificed well marva's almost done the same thing to those people in a way Mm. yeah but i suppose Marv is only like kind of as we say said what everyone's thinking mm. i don't think she like herself really radicalized anyone i think mm. everyone was fed up yeah and I, I think the funny thing is it's when they try to like shut Marv up from beyond the grave that's when yeah. it crosses the line yeah because it's quite funny because watching it, i was like wow the empire really letting her talk huh mm. and then you realize like oh it's getting to a point because i think they realized tr if they try to shut her up it's going to erupt. Yeah. Because these people have already ignored when this funeral's meant to be. Mm. So there is already, they've already made their first act of rebelling. Um, no, great, great sequence. I love the um, anvil guy tossing that stormtrooper mm. off the that top. Great. That's um, a cheer moment. I saw somebody say there was a wasted opportunity for him to not use the hammer on him. And I was like, but we've had that in Mandalorian with the. Uh, yeah the armorer she's already we've already had some like stormtroopers getting smashed with hammers so you know that's why we don't oh, need those are like ceremonial hammers you know yeah exactly so yeah and uh, just this, the very visual of them walking towards that line that they make mm. with the shields so again that and where you say where it kicks off again with the instruments where they start again b2s they're rolling at the front it just takes you know it's just such a courageous moment i think and 
just speaks so much as to what is at stake, what people are willing to put mm. on the line and, and how much the rebellion means. And obviously you get the great symbolism of like, you know, it's like a rust. And that's what we hear Cassian's dad say earlier in the episode as well. So yeah, this is why it's one of my favorite like Star Wars scenes because you have the great visuals, the great character moments, and some of the shots as well, like that, not long after, is it when Vel is like... It runs into, run the into fog. this fog. Yeah. That was beautiful. Really awesome stuff. I am I feel... I'm, I could talk about this episode all day, but I'm trying to keep time in mind. Because, yes, um, yeah, yeah. No, unfortunately, definitely. we're in the middle of a, a crisis of our own with transport. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Trains being cancelled constantly, buses on the fritz. So mm. I think, unless you've got any, like, quick final things to say about the episode no that's what i mean that's why i wanted to like bring up that like entire moment because it is just you know one of my favorites the only other thing i would say i'm a big soundtrack guy so that's why i think that it hits even more that the episode is willing to go kind of go the people who play the you know the uh, instruments are important too not just people with the guns but also the empowerment of music and how that can sort of like Mm. uh give people more power and kind of like revolutionize people and and how it's brought into the title this this week really great well apparently that's what i was going to say is an interesting fact apparently nicholas Bratel he said that the funeral music was the first thing he wrote for the entire series Ah. because they realized what a sort of like important moment it would be so apparently the opening of every episode is a little segment from each bit of that track Oh. and i'm like ah that's beautiful that's like that kind of the build up to this yeah. important moment this act of rebellion this like defining moment for andor and how it's played throughout the series i thought that was like brilliant choice excellent nicholas Bratel killed it absolutely yeah. killed it yeah um but no apart from that i think like i said it's just those, those visuals like i said the running into the the fog the pace of the entire thing you know like cutting back and forth between characters um and even also just as well, the cinematography, you know, when Andor like arrives back on Ferex and there's that beautiful light in where it's like him and the guy he's speaking to, oh, so you've yeah. got the lights behind them. When I was watching that scene, I was like, we haven't had this in a Star Wars project yet. We haven't had this like, like there's one scene with Deidre where she's talking to one of the Imperials and they're both in shadow. I'm like, oh, mm. like how beautiful to do it that way. And again, being really artistic with their kind of cinematography and using light and shadow for like really artistic ways. I, I really love that as well. Mm. But uh but yeah, everything to do. And the last thing as well, I'll say, is like with Nemec. His, his I love life. how you start with, do you have any more to say? Not really. This is my last. <laughs> but this is oh, and this is my one. other last. <laughs> but again, but also like, it, it's the sacrifices everyone makes, I think is really important. Like you see with Vel and Cinta that everyone's having to sacrifice something, you know, whether it be more Mothma and or she's having to sacrifice like, potentially her relationship there because it's all for this greater cause and you know Cinta's like overrun by like sort of revenge or takedown that she kind of mm. can't see you know the the woods through the trees kind of aspect um so yeah just the, the pace of the entire thing and then Nemec's line as well of just like oppression is the mask of fear and I think that that just perfectly encapsulates not only that situation in which the empire is just there like oh shit you know what mm. do we do like they're about to rebel and I think that just covers what the empire is all about I think even a character like Deirdre really they are only doing a job and what they think is the right thing to do. They're not like they're like, I believe completely in this. They're just kind of like we are doing in which like people work for these governments and these systems because it's expected of them and what they think is the best thing to do. And while obviously, yeah, Deirdre probably has some like horrible, you know, beliefs, you know, it it, it just adds to the, the idea of the empire. It's not just like, oh, 
Palpatine is just this one evil dude and that has everyone under his control. It's just that this, this system has been created and everyone's a part of the system and it just needs to break. And I think that that's what's so great about Nemec's line. If your batch, if your batch has a few bad apples, you usually get rid of the whole batch. Yeah. You don't try and save it. Um, that was a, a slightly confusing <laughs> metaphor. I've confused myself, frankly. Mm-hmm. But um, I think we'll move on to our question of the week then. Mm-hmm. Do you have it there, Dave? Because I realise I've left my phone elsewhere. <laughs> I shall go to it now. Oh, this is dead air. This is very hard <laughs> practice. We're building up to it. We're a bit worse for wear this week. So our question is from uh, fellow Mandalorian Jake, who says, do you think season two will stick to the same tone or do you think more fantastical elements will be brought in? Which is kind of what we've already been alluding bit, to. And yeah. talking about. Like personally, I, I think it's going to stay very much on this track. I don't see them suddenly bringing in more of the mythology. Unless in passing or it's in use of like a character using a story as a reference. Mm. But I, I think it would be... I don't think it would suit this show. No. And I think this show still absolutely fits into Star Wars, no question asked. But I think the, the tone changes. It's like we had a question earlier in the show. It's like, uh, could Palpatine appear? And I think like Ian McDermott hamming it up would be wrong in mm. the show. I love the man, I love the performance. But I think this show knows its tone and that's the strength of it. And it's something I loved about season one of um the mandalorian is it kind of went away from well actually baby yoda i suppose but Mm. but it felt like it was taking a step back and making it kind of almost more mysterious again Mm. which works for that but um and or i I couldn't see that working i think the only more fantastical you will get is just in the sense that like rather than like dirty small scale ferrex you might then get yavin etc so maybe some of the locations might seem grander or more fantastical in their scope and again like we said before i don't think it's going to kind of be like oh this is the story in which we find yavin and i think even a k2so thing might be quite casual it could be just like oh we have this droid in the back and we yeah. reprogrammed him it's not going to be this kind of like break into the facility mm. and like oh who's this you know like oh we should use this droid meet in k2 you know like solo meet in wookie uh, wookie <laughs> sorry sorry chewbacca <laughs> meet in chewbacca um they all look the same to me oh my <laughs> so, god no, i'm joking i'm joking i'm joking um so yeah i think that it'll become maybe a bit more fantastical in kind of the scale that we kind of see the bigger ramifications maybe you know some more like bigger space battles like that luthan one absolutely slapped in the last episode mm. as well so we might get rather than one ship against something like that we might get a few um so I think, and some of the like missions we might see Cassian go on are going to be sort of grander, bigger things. But again, I don't think it's going to be the kind of like, this is how they get this, this is how they do that sort of elements. I think that it's just going to be specific. I think we're still seeing Cassian's journey to how he becomes the man yeah. he is in Rogue One. And I think the stuff like the prison one is a perfect example of like when the show is at its best and what works for it. And I think you could either have, now that they've kind of told the small story about like, why he is the person he is, why he's inspired, who is his kind of like circle of people. I think now it could be like, again, you could see an arc in which they go to some other planet and see how they're affecting and how they rise up against the Empire, how those pockets are working and how Luthen and his kind of like team of people operate and how Mothma will become the leader of the rebellion, how she breaks away. Because I think that's probably the biggest thing they go into in terms of her is obviously at one point she does leave the senate and everything like that and she like declares her 
hate of Palpatine, etc. And I think that that's probably the biggest mention we'll get of him. I did feel at some points we could have seen him when we were like seeing scenes of her um, in Coruscant with like the mm. the Senate and stuff like that. I think it's very effective that he isn't there because obviously yeah. the message is meant to be that it's just this empty vessel, which just, just means nothing. But um, I wouldn't be against if you had something like Masamida or, um, you know, some of the senators we've seen in the past. But uh, yeah, I think it was definitely built into a kind of like big moment for her. And I wouldn't be against then seeing some of the, again, more prequel era players because it's Coruscant. I would like Bail Organa to come in because I think Jimmy mm. Smits is just a nice, reliable presence. And, and you know, he, he, he was very good on the West Wing. So give him a bit more political stuff to do. Rather than like, help me, Obi-Wan. <laughs> it's true, yeah, because really he is a senator there at the same time. And I think maybe we'll see that relationship build because it's been nice to see that it isn't just this one guy is running the entire yeah. thing. But it also builds the idea of what we saw in Tales of the Jedi, that he's there like, contact me if you need me with Ahsoka. So he's trying to like use all of these contacts and bring people together. And I think both him and Mon Mothma do that. Mm. But that kind of brings to the tragedy that he just dies. So like... I'd you know, be like, remiss because I, I forgot it was in the episode till two seconds ago. We've got an after credit scene. <laughs> yes, yeah. Confirming us, you know, us Graham's, and I speculated last episode that the things they were building were for the Death Star. Yeah. And there's a fun irony to that, but I also almost wish they didn't even confirm that. Because mm. I think it doesn't it doesn't really matter. And we know what's going to happen with the Death Star and Andor and all that. Uh, and also, after credit scenes in Star Wars, No. Mm. no thank you when when the credits start rolling that's when i usually go and make my lunch <laughs> i was gonna ask that what do you think like they work and i think it is again it, it feels like just a given at this rate with kind of disney media but it felt a bit out of place i didn't mind seeing it itself and it kind of builds up that like ooh, you know like aspect. it was a cool little clip but yeah um i like the idea that even like the droids who are building it they almost look like buzz droids or something so it's this irony of the you know the empire which like get rid of the droids, bring in the stormtroopers, you know, the separatists, and then actually, like, using almost their old enemy to build their infrastructure and stuff. But, um, and I think they, at least it was, it wasn't too on the nose in that you just saw them using those pieces and it wasn't kind of, like, saying, like you said, showing them being transported from the prison planet up to there directly or anything like that. But I guess it does speak to where they might be going. So whether the season two is very Death Star focused, I would be... A bit disappointed if it was like Cassian's entire rebel career is based on the Death Star. Do you know what I mean? I think it could be an arc in the next season and it could mm. take off to where we go with Rogue One. Like, how do they find out about the Death Star? But I don't think it should be the be all and end all of like what he's doing and what the rebellion's doing. It's really about like Cassian's search for his sister, if that's going to continue. Because I know mm. Marvel asked him to stop, but I don't know. I, I think maybe to bring that back would help bring the show yeah. full circle because that's his initial goal before everything goes wrong everything like, in a galaxy goes wrong yeah and i thought that that was a nice touch as well it's just that idea of like b2 and bix saying like you know cassian will come back i thought mm. that that was like a nice it, it told you all you needed to know about cassian in just that one moment and and also the fact that he had to go rescue bix yeah is the fact that you learn so much from him by just going i can't leave her in there she, you know she's there because of me and maybe you know Cassian at the start of the series wouldn't have been as likely to do that but shown how much he's changed and evolved as a character and we've really seen all of these events through his eyes and he's been quite silent throughout it but we've seen how it's influenced him and just the idea of like Cassian will be back it very much speaks to like even in Rogue One how he's kind of like the hidden hero of the film almost which I don't mind because I find the Jin is so 
kind of wet and <laughs> put, kind of fails as a main lead for me. Mm. So um, any more supporting of him in that film, I'm, I'm fine with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, great. So I think that brings us quite far along. Uh, any last minute recommendations of anything you're reading, watching, eating? <laughs> Why not? Let's expand it. <laughs> um, there's just so much, I suppose, at Christmas and everything, isn't it? So um, loads of series and stuff like that. As I said, I've not had much time with cinema and everything like that recently. So apart from this series, um, I <laughs> don't recommend really a series. That doesn't make yeah, any sense. No, no, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I can't. Like, I guess if you really want like another great soul, like um, higher ups and lower downs and stuff talking about society um arcane which i've you know watched ages ago but that's a, a fantastic series to, which touches on the same themes also understands the importance of characters different storylines different subplots going on embracing the visuals so arcane would be a fantastic suggestion not necessarily something i've watched recently but again it's another one which i'm looking forward to the season two and and everything like that with so yeah I suppose um, if people at home want to do a bit of homework for our next episode, uh, you can watch the Star Wars Holiday Special on YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, it's a tough one, but it is fascinating. It is like a incredibly interesting, like little historical thing that happened, mm. and I think should be preserved. I think I think Lucasfilm should actually go out of their way to try and make this an established thing, preserve future generations. <laughs> because you know, it, it it's it shows the folly of man. But... <laughs> In ways that's been referenced ever since in their own media now. So, you know, embrace it. And I know I recommended it last episode, but um, the series For All Mankind. Mm. I'm on the third season now, which is quite far along for me with my record with TV. But fantastic science fiction. Asked a lot of questions about space travel and should we even do it? Mm. And why we do. And I re yeah, really enjoying that. Uh, written by the guy who made Battlestar Galactica. Okay. So yeah, great little great Apple TV series. I will give Apple TV some credit for the first time yeah. ever. <laughs> some good things to fill the voids now and always over as well, isn't it? Yeah, and also just a quick one because you know we're coming up to Christmas. Never feel obliged to have to like watch Christmas things at Christmas. Mm. Watch whatever you want. It's a nice quiet time. If there's long movies you've been putting off, it's a great thing to do at Christmas. Throw it on. I watched Doctor Shivago last year. Mm. Kind of a slow one, but but nice. You know, snow, beautiful people, beautiful music. Yeah. Yeah, that's my almost non-recommendation. Or you can watch them up as Christmas Carol because it's coming back with like a new song, song in it. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you want to talk about like, you know, B2 making me emotional, like even that film, you know, like Beaker the Muppet giving Scrooge a scarf, you know, even chokes me up. So uh, <laughs> go watch it just to, to get, get emotional with Muppets. <laughs> Great. So yeah, that brings us to the end of the episode. Thank you everyone for joining us throughout the Andor season. Uh, I know it's probably been weird if you're a long-time listener hearing us just so unanimously incredibly positive and happy which leads us nicely into the christmas season <laughs> i think uh, so yeah if you like us if it is your first time or please like and subscribe and you know stick with us we're on like what apple spotify anchor my alarm's going off which mm -hmm. means i'll have to go soon uh, <laughs> there you go folks even worse than daddy yeah. <laughs> uh yeah you know find us follow us we're going to be back sooner than later you know we were going to do the holiday special soon and we've got all sorts of ideas for episodes in the new year some not even like specifically relating to anything that relevant like i know we're going to miss it this year unfortunately but this year was the 20th anniversary of attack of the clones mm. which um 
has its fans. That could have been a holiday special. <laughs> it could have been a holiday special, but um, but also it's the twentieth anniversary of digital cinema. Thanks to that movie, a big, oh. a big landmark in terms of the technology, and also the ten year anniversary of Disney buying Lucasfilm, mm. which for some people was the worst day of their life. But it's been mm. celebrated now by uh, Bob. <laughs> by Bob, Bob one... Iger being brought back in. Yeah, they brought back Bob, folks. <laughs> Somehow Bob returned. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I'm trying to think of a nice. Um, a nice sign-off for this week. Well, like I said, uh, I suppose the only other ones is, you know, just your usual socials and stuff as well, like oh, you know, yeah. Twitter, etc. So for myself, you can catch me on Twitter, letterbox at David Osgar, O-S-G-A-R. So I do want to shout it out as well for the festive season. Uh, we're talking all about, you know, being kind and change and all this kind of stuff. So on my other podcast, Well Good Movies, where we talk about movies for all time and, you know, whether they should be remembered, etc. Uh, we always do a fun end-of-year quiz a big challenge for one of our on our episodes where previous guests come in. And this year we're doing a special fundraiser, which I'd like to shout out, uh, which you, if you go to justgivin.com slash page slash wellgoodmovies, uh, you can donate there to the RSPCA. Uh, so it's uh, a great time to donate to a, a worthy cause which helps uh, rehome animals and look after them when injured and all that kind of stuff. Because uh, as I said, we'd be too and things... You know, it's very important to uh, have those kind of like sweet little reminders of just something that's kind of more pure. And, you know, so like dogs, cats, they, you know, they're a big part of people's lives. So if you can give, you know, either go to the Well Good Movie socials on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or go to that Just Giving page and anything you donate is much, much appreciated. A, a worthy cause. And also, in general, check out Well Good Movies. They've got yeah. a whole slate of Christmas programming. Yes, exactly. Yeah, go check out the Well I feel bad movies. now Christmas telling people slate. not to do Christmas stuff. Yeah, it's like, well, do yeah. that. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> well, you know, we did Halloween and in between Christmas movies, so there's plenty of selection to choose from there. You recommended Akira earlier in the year when we were oh, doing yeah. anime and stuff like that. That was a joy. So loads of films you can di- dive into there, but... It's a yeah. good episode where I have a mental breakdown at the end. Yeah. If folks want to hear that. And I'd also say for people, if they haven't watched Bad Batch again, like that's coming up, I think, again, people can easily like go like, oh, well, there's some like, you know, filler kind of episodes or it's a bit more kiddie and stuff. But there is a lot of kind of more relevant things which are in this series, which you do get in some respect in that series as well. The kind of like, you know, what happens to people after war? How do things change? And the formation of like this tyrannical empire, Saw Gerrera's in there at one point. You see a lot of dark moments, so... Go check that out if you haven't already. I think it's a great time to catch up over Christmas time and then you're ready mm. for season two. No, very well put. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, been a great conversation now. It's, it's been, been a, a pleasure. A great conversation. And as we, we always say, and especially in the UK, fuck the empire. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the way. <laughs> and it, uh, oh, yeah. This is the way. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs>